You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So a bit of a pop quiz tonight. Um, Ten bucks to the person that can tell me what the hottest biography on bookshelves this Christmas is. Steve Jobs, who said that? Jane Lamb. Beautiful. Um, Now, that was just a sermon technique, by the way. I didn't have 10 bucks, so (laughs) thanks for participating. Um, Steve Jobs, right? The Steve Jobs biography has hit shelves. Uh, They're already saying in Amazon it's going to be the biggest seller on Amazon this year in America alone. In two months, there has been 379,000 copies of this biography sold already. And it's something like 600 pages long. It's by a guy called Isaacson. And in asking what was Jobsy's legacy, he said his legacy is transforming seven industries, personal computers, animated movies, music, phones, tablet computing, digital publishing, retail stores. His legacy is creating what became the most valuable company on earth and one that stood all the intersections of humanities and technology and is the company most likely still to be doing that a generation from now. His legacy, as he said, is to think di- in the Think Different ad was to remind us that the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I put it to you that there was a character that left a far greater legacy than that. And yes, Jobsy has been one of the most amazing characters in recent modern history as far as when it comes to technology. But there is no other man on the face of this planet and in human history that has changed the world the way that Jesus Christ has. We want to start talking legacies. This guy gave birth to a movement that has swept the world. And tonight I challenge you, if you're going to read one biography this Christmas, then maybe you might read the biography of Jesus. And That's why we start this series called History or His Story. The biography of Jesus in the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses. We're going to spend five weeks in 18 verses. You do the math. That's about three verses a week. So bring your Bibles or memorize it. Why look at the, Beth, the book of John? Because it's probably the best biography you're going to ever read. And here's the kicker. It's, it's according to my NIV here. It's only 60 pages, not 900. So you are, if, you're not a, if you're not a reader, then it's the sort of book that you, are, that you want to read. But look, for all of those, you know, the, the top 10 most influential people in the world, you can think of Gandhi and Buddha and Muhammad and uh, Steve Jobs, <laughs> Jesus. I, only in Jesus did one, was one put forward by John as being God himself, the divine creator. Anyone else would be called a crackpot if they claim that. You see, the most penetrating question in all of history is not who is Steve Jobs and 900 pages later. The question is who is Jesus Christ? And as we start to move towards the Christmas season, there can be no better question for us to ask. You see, in this passage tonight, we will discover a truth that is so mind-shattering <laughs> that uh, the, the, the only way to explain it is that if, 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 you, if you lived at the foot of a mountain for 50 years and you'd lived there all your life and someone came along and gave you a ticket and said, hey, let's go for a hot air balloon ride. And as you drifted up, up and up, you began to see terrain and landscapes and aspects of your homeland that you had never seen before and it's going to blow your mind. And John does that in three simple verses the very beginning of the book of John, in chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What I want to say to you tonight is that you need a reason. You need a reason. And you're thinking, why, why, why do I need a reason? It's like the story of a, a kid that went and took his dad's Taj Heuer watch and be, took it off and began to drive a rusty nail into a block of wood with it. And in, in the splintering and the shattering of all the glass and the beautiful cogs inside it, one must, must ask the question, is it a good watch? Well, certainly not for driving nails, that's for sure. You see, what, what, what I'm trying to say here is outside of an understanding of the purpose for which you were created, there can be no telling whether or not the life that you are living is doing you any harm or any good. Outside of understanding your reason tonight, then you're going to not know the difference with your own life as whether you're in the watcher's sense a glorious display of chronology or the shattering of glass against a rusty nail. You see, what it means for us is we've got to, we've got to understand our purpose. We've got to understand our reason in our lives. And, 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 and to do so, we can approach that one or two ways. We can seek to discover uh, the real reason, God's reason, the reason of our designer and the master watch craftsman, or we can go and create a reason for ourselves. One of two ways, discover it or create it. And throughout the generations, we've, we've created all sorts of reasons for ourselves. It's looked different. But it's in three main sorts of areas. We create our reason in what we do and what we desire or how we define ourselves. You see, the, the traditional generation, our grandparents' generation, if you're my age, their traditional model was you, def- you, you, you create your reason by what you do through your duties. You're a good husband. You're a good worker. You're a good wife. You're a good man. You're a good woman. Your reason was based in what you do. And then along came the modern culture and didn't like that strict approach. So your reason was just about discovering your, your innermost desire. And then we postmodern kids realise that um, when you go, and, you go and follow your desires, you realise there's no coherent set. You know, one minute you like ice cream and then next minute it's making you fat. Like you can't work it out. I desire ice cream, but... And so we have to define ourselves. We have to set this patchwork quilt of our identities. You know, we're great parents, so we've got a great career. We, we, we do whatever, we define ourselves, and finally we're going to be right, right? But see, particularly in our younger generation, there's one thing people want. People, people want this. Look, are you telling me, are you telling me what, what I want you to tell me, or am I getting the real thing? Are you manipulating me, or are you telling me the real thing? You know, when you say you can define yourself, you're not giving people in. Uh, you're not giving people what you inherently are demanding, and that is authenticity. I call it the Louis Vuitton principle. You know, um, you know how it is when people go to Italy, or probably more so to Singapore, and they go and grab um, a couple of those Louis Vuitton knockoff type bags, and and look, they look pretty real, particularly for me as a guy. Handbags are handbag, as far as I'm concerned. But from a distance, it all looks good. But chatting to some of the girls, apparently, if you look up close and you check the stitching, you can tell that it's really not a Louis Vuitton. And so you get up close enough, and you see that looks different. That's a fake, you know. And here's here's the thing: you can go stitching up your own life with all sorts of different reasons as to why you exist. But people are going to get close enough and and discover that it's fake. It's not the intention of the designer. You need a reason. 
You need a reason to hold yourself to, uh, together. And, and, and Christianity says, no, you don't find a reason yourself. For this simple reason that Christianity says we learn that there is a reason. Let's uh, look at what it says again, verses 1 to 3. A lot of reading in this series. Three whole verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I just said you need a reason. You're reading the Bible. They're saying, I can't see where you got that. My Bible says Word, Sam. Verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word. But the Greek word was logos. It was a, uh, a specifically chosen Term. And so why does John, who, who won't use the word logos, he won't use the word Greek word logos for the rest of his gospel, why would he use that in the first chapter? Why not use in the beginning was the son? Why wouldn't he write in the beginning was the son who was with God and was God? Why not in the beginning was the Lord? Why wouldn't he use in the, well, in the beginning was Jesus? Why wouldn't, he, why wouldn't he do that? Let me ask you this question. If you, if you had to write the introduction to this book, Got the weight of the glory of God on your shoulders and you've experienced this and you, you sit down there. What, what, what would you write? How would you do this? See, John, first and foremost, wants to grab the attention of the people that he's writing to. And so he, he, he wants to grab the attention of the world around him. So he uses the word logos because logos rang deep chords in the, the ears of people of the day. It's because the word logos had been around in the Greek world years before Jesus was on the scene. Heraclitus was an old philosopher in 500 BC and, uh, and he was the first one in Greek philosophy to pay special attention to this word logos. And he says the logos is the rational principle of the universe. Logos was the reason. And then the Stoics in 300 BC, they said it was the integrating principle of all of life. It, it made for all the laws of nature. And so by the time of Jesus, his thought around the word of Logos was beginning to disintegrate and shatter through all sorts of Greek debate. You can imagine them in their robes and talking about Logos for three and a half hours. I can't think of anything more exciting. But, but here's the point. They got to point in the debate and they had argued it so much that they began to think, was there any reason for life at all? And so the Epicureans, their solution was, well, there is no reason for life, so just go and have fun. That's a Cindy Lawford principle. And <laughs> Thanks up there, brother. Um, and, then, and then you had the Stoics who, who said, there's, there's no answers, but we're going to live a virtuous life anyway, and so that we'll live a good life anyway, but there's still no answer. Look, sound any different from how we are today? Does it sound any different? One of the reasons I think the religion is so impolite to bring up with people is that people don't like to be reminded that when they get up of a morning, they're not getting up for any reason at all. They don't want to be reminded that there aren't any answers and we want to keep on living virtuous life. We don't, we don't think there's an answer. We don't have one and so we don't want to be reminded. And so the Greeks were debating in the logos at the philosophical level what everyone, including you and I, are asking at the informal level when we get on the bus and we get on the train to work, we're asking ourselves, what am I living for? And in putting pen to paper, can you see the predicament that John is in here? In putting pen to paper, how do I put into the words, he says, the revelation of God himself so that all cultures will understand. And he says to himself, I know, I'll, I'll use a deliberately loaded term. And as he brainstorms the gravity of what's been revealed to him in Jesus Christ, he says, in the beginning was, in the beginning was, I mean, can you imagine the contemporary parallels? In the beginning was the X factor. And the X factor was with God and the X factor was God. Or in the beginning was the force. 
and the force was with God. And the f- In the beginning, for some teenage girls, was Justin Bieber. And Justin Bieber was with God, and Justin Bieber was God. Oh, well. No, he, he says, in the beginning was the Logos. And so can you, can you imagine what these Greek people were thinking when they read that? In the beginning was the reason. In the beginning was the integrating principle of all of life. And that principle was with God and that principle was God. Now, just not a logical reason because Logos is where we get the word logic from. The internal reasoning, not just a logical reason, but the reason for life. He's saying in the beginning was what you were made for. Now you say all religions are like that. John's just giving us another guiding principle here. But look, what if it was just a guiding principle? It's not all that attractive. If I was looking at that, I'd say that's hardly attractive because that's just some up in there abstract truth that I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around. Some of you are probably getting a nosebleed from this theology already tonight. It's just up there in the sky. It's too hard to understand. And we learn, first of all, that there is a reason. But second thing that we learn from this passage tonight is that the reason is not abstract truth, but it's a person. Here we approach the defining factor of Christianity right across the world. Verse 14 of his gospel that we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time, he says, and the reason became flesh. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The reason became a person. The Greeks have been debating for years what the reason for life is, and they thought it was a principle, and John says something radically different. He's saying there is a truth, but it's not abstract truth. It's not some sort of divine directives that come down and tell you how to live your life. John is saying it's an absolute truth. It's not an abstract, it's a person. It's not, an abs- it's not an absolute principle, it's an absolute person in the person of Jesus Christ. And see, that's, the, that's part of the challenge that we ha- people have with God, right? They think, how am I supposed to relate to God? What does God look like? What does he think? What does he, how would he react in this situation? What would he do here? How can I know him? Isn't God something abstract? And, and that, that is at the heart of the beauty of Christianity because of all the religions in the world. There is no other where God has become a human person. And every other religion still to this day wonders what the God is like. And we as Christians say it is a person, it's Jesus, and a very special type of person. And we see it hidden with that word with. In the beginning was God, and and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. You see, what it means is, like, what does with mean? If you're with someone... You're in a dynamic relationship with them. And so what it says to us, first and foremost, that in the beginning, before the world was created, there was Jesus, but Jesus was with God. And so the with teaches, and ready for this, if you haven't got a nosebleed yet, it's about to happen. Um, The with teaches us that God is a tri-personal, triune, three-person God, three distinct people in one. I know, it's crazy. Some people are reaching for the tissues. And... You see, that, that there, whenever we have the, the questions around her, this notion of the Trinity in Christianity, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 is one of the first places we see it so clearly. In the beginning was the reason, and the reason was with God, so the reason and God are together, but it's also saying that the reason was God. The Logos was God. Jesus was God. They were together. And so here we have God in three persons. Blessed Trinity, as the, as the hymn says. What, here's my question. What were they doing for all eternity before time began? <laughs> what do you do up there, hanging out up in heaven? And it's amazing in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight. He says, And now, Father, glorify me, 
glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See how he's, he's talking into this verse. Jesus is affirming what John is saying here. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the world ever began was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is amazing in this incredible state, we learn something that is is out there as it is and as lofty as it is. We're made in his image and nothing is better than to be with someone. to be affirmed by someone, to be loved by someone, to be in relationship with someone. What we know in drops, the Trinity knows in oceans, infinite oceans. And so like, you know, when you get the funny selector sprays at a soccer match, or when you're thirsty at halftime, <laughs> the glimpses that we get in the relationship that God had with the Logos, with Jesus, we can only ever get a glimpse of. We're never going to be fully satisfied with how beautiful and wonderful this relationship is. But if it's true that God's a Trinity... When it says that we are created to participate and be in his glory, he didn't create us, create us because God needed glory. He didn't say, I'm going to, you know, Logos, let's, we're hanging out here. I need some glory. Let's create humans so they can go to church at Northside on Sunday and sing his praises. They weren't thinking like that. They did, God, God didn't need glory because they were already glorifying each other. God created us because he wanted to share his glory. And so as one writer says, uh, at the heart of it, what was happening there when he sends his son, the divine Logos, into the world, he did it because he wanted to invite us into the dance at the centre of the universe. God was in perfect glory with the son, the with, dynamic relationship. And you know what that is? You know what it's saying? It's, it's, it's saying here, look, even the people in the Old Testament didn't get it. They didn't have textbooks on the Trinity and they didn't have Alastair McGrath's systematic theology and all sorts of stuff to talk about the Trinity, but they instinctively knew it. They knew it like you and I know intuitively that the glory of God is what we are made for. That's why in every outstretched arm, in every piece of music that just sends you nuts, every piece of art you can't stop staring at, and every bit of nature that just blows your mind, you've got to tell someone, can you, can you believe this? It's just a glimpse of what you are created for. And so what I want to say to you tonight is, do you know it? Do you, do you see it? Do you, do you sense it? Because the Bible says so much more than a cliched answer to the reasons of the world. It says, simply says this, is that this is the reason you were created for. If you're made for a reason and the reason is a person, then the reason for life is an interactive relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Pretty simple. And some thought the meaning of the life was 43. <laughs> John's saying, get this. There's a logos. There's a reason and it's not abstract. It's a person, a person to be known, a person to be loved. The logos is, is, is not a, a set of abstract principles. The logos is Jesus, the one who existed before the world began the one who has been face to face with God. And what we get tonight, what we see in this, is that God himself has punched a hole in the roof of the universe and he's come down in the form of a person and he's climbed in, you know, whereas lots of philosophies will debate the great mysteries of the world. Christianity answers some of these questions, but it's not a philosophy. Christianity says, come and discover who Jesus Christ is. Come and believe into Jesus Christ. 
Read his biography, read his story, the story of history itself, and you can know God, not as some abstraction, but as a living, breathing person. Lived and walked in areas that I can still look up in Google Maps today. I love that. (laughs) Every other religion gives you an abstract God, but not this one. This gives you one that is real. Guys, let me um, finish with this tonight. Look, here's, here's the thing. If this, this, whole, this whole three verses is just some abstract truth to you, then it's, it's, it's going to be dehumanizing. It's, if you think it's just abstract truth, it's, it, it's going to take away from, from what you think it means to be a, a person. You're going to say, well, you know, uh, I've got to follow all these rules. I've got to follow the truth here. But if it's a person, then it's liberating. There's freedom in discovering that if what this truth is tonight is a person in the form of Jesus Christ. Here's why. Look at... It's like love. And love takes two parties to surrender to each other. It's often a difficult process. But if only one person surrenders, then it's, it's, it's dehumanizing. There's no, there's no independence. There's no, there's no freedom in that. One person's always surrendering to the other. And for most people, maybe it's you tonight. You see a relationship with God like that. You t- maybe tonight you were thinking, if I have a relation with this logos, with this reason, if I discover this reason in Jesus, then I'm going to lose my freedom. And that's going to take away from what it means to be human. You're thinking, I've got to do all the shifting. I've got to do all the sacrificing. I've got to follow all these rules. I'm the one that's got to give up. (laughs) It's dehumanizing, but not with this God. You see, there are lots of gods out there, but only Christianity. Only Christianity says that the absolute truth became a person and went to the cross. And on the cross, cross, God says, you're worried about surrender? I'll lose my independence for you, God says. Jesus Christ says, I already did the surrendering bit and I got killed for it. You surrender and you're going to find life. How can you ask more from a God than that? A God that had the ultimate, he was the ultimate free being and he comes down to earth, he breaks in and he gets nailed for it. He surrendered his freedom so that you can know yours. Look, guys, you were... You are standing at the boarding gate for your hot air balloon this evening. Some of you, if you're not a Christian, haven't stepped into that basket and, and, and lifted up above the landscape of a life that you have known forever. Friend, can I challenge you tonight? If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know the reason for your life, place your faith into him. Come and see one of the ministry team at the back of the auditorium. Come and ask what it means to follow the Logos, in the beginning was the reason and the reason was with God and the reason was God. Look, I'm going to ask you whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, what gets you up in the morning? Because there are going to be lots of different reasons that you're going to have tomorrow, self-constructed reasons. It could be your work. It could be your finances. It could be your family. There are going to be lots of your Logoi. That's plural for Logos, if you're wondering. <laughs> there, you're going to have lots of reasons. See, the thing is, every other religion in the world leaves you with its teaching. This religion, if you want to call it that, leaves you with its teacher. And that's why I'm saying to you tonight, for the next five weeks, you need to read his biography. You need to get into his biography. You need to get into the insights of what made him tick, what it was within him that left the greatest legacy that this world has ever seen. And it's not the most valuable company on the stock market at the moment. Not who's Steve Jobs. Who, who is Jesus? Tonight we see, first of all, Jesus is the reason. 
the reason for everything. Have you got not just a reason but the reason? Make him your reason tonight and discover, discover what you're built for. Let's pray.